Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Nick Moritz is the founder of Wolfpack Response Limited, Shanghai. He is an entrepreneur from Detroit, Michigan, United States, and graduated from Michigan State University with a degree in communication. After graduating, he moved to Chicago for a couple of years where he worked as an IT salesman for CDW, a large third-party reseller of IT equipment. There he learned about supplying enterprise equipment for IT infrastructure. Significantly, since he was a child, he has always had an entrepreneurial spirit. At nine years old, he had the paper round and worked throughout high school and university. He first came to China in 2010 during the depths of the financial crisis in the United States to work as a teacher. His drive to search for ways to improve his students' education and his failure to convince his bosses of the benefits of his idea led him to getting involved in the startup community in Shanghai. After entering a startup weekend in July 2014 with a version of his tool and a business proposal, and then winning second place, he quit his job and founded Wolfpack Response Limited Shanghai. So now, without further delay, let's begin. So, Nick... Can you introduce yourself? Okay, sure. So, uh, yeah, I can uh, introduce myself. My name's Nick Moritz. I'm a 33-year-old entrepreneur from outside of Detroit, Michigan, United States. I've been in Shanghai now since 2010. And uh, my startup is called Wolfpack Response Limited, uh, Shanghai Langchun. Technically, the company regis- was registered in December of 2014. Yeah, Wolfpack Response, yes. So that's my, uh, my pride and joy, my baby, and uh, my full-time work. So describe your background and how that connects with what you're doing now. Sure. So uh, I, went to, I graduated from Michigan State University uh, with a degree in communication and then I moved to Chicago for a couple years after graduating university as an IT salesman at CDW, a uh, very large third-party reseller of uh, IT equipment. So um, there I learned a lot about uh, enterprise-grade IT gear like networking equipment, uh, data centers, and servers, really a lot of the uh, components that make up a enterprise's uh, IT infrastructure. So um, that, and since I was a, uh, a kid, I always had a uh, entrepreneurial spirit. At uh, nine years old, I had a uh, paper route. And I was always working uh, throughout uh, high school and in university. I started a uh, small business called, uh, we called it Neighbor Nick. And my friends and I uh, went around and we did uh, just odd jobs 
such as painting, such as uh, yard work, really any work that we could do um, to gain some, some extra cash. And how much would you be paid for that? Would it be pocket money? Or would it be a business? Uh, well, it was approaching a business. You know, we were we were so young then, and uh, and uh, we were still uh, had full time classes to do. So it was more like uh, pocket money. Um, but we had we had a few big jobs, and uh, so we we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of fun doing that uh, kind of stuff. So in general, um, you know, I guess I'll should give a quick description of what my business does now in order to answer the question. Uh, my business is about uh, a technology called Audience Response Systems, or ARS. Um, these little devices that we use are called clickers, and we hand one of these devices out to everybody at an event or in a lecture hall, and we can ask everybody for their, their feedback, some sort of question. Like, uh, could be as simple as, what's your favorite color? It'll be red, green, black, yellow, orange. And people will push on this device, and we'll see the instantaneous feedback. Now, I've been to a few of these presentations where you've taken part. I've also been to presentations where you haven't been a part. And it sets a scene where people start to become engaged. They start to become, hmm, I'm now part of this experience and I'm not just being a passive listener. So I think it's something that could be very useful or is very useful when I've, when I've seen it in action. So why did you decide to set up business in China? Sure, well, uh, when I first came to China was uh, in 2010, and that was really the depths of the financial crisis uh, back in the United States. So I had moved to Chicago after graduating from Michigan State uh, and began my career as a salesperson, and um, it was uh, really, really difficult to uh, gain a, a foothold at that point as a, as a salesperson. Um, and so... Was that a salesperson in China? Uh, no, in 2008, that was in Chicago. The job at CDW sort of uh, ran its course. Great company, great people. Um, but I started looking for another job. And uh, man, I was I, at that time, I was uh, 28 years old. And um, I was competing for entry-level positions with guys and men and women who had 20 years experience selling. So um, I kept looking around for different positions. It was really tough to find a job then. And uh, I had a buddy who had uh, grown up with me, uh, across, grew up across the street from me, and he had uh, studied a lot of Chinese since high school, then in, then in university, and got a job here in Shanghai. Um, and he said, Nick, well, why don't you come to uh, China for a year? He said, uh, you know, you can teach English in China. And as an American, you know, I was like, what? You can do that? You know, I said, I don't, I don't speak Chinese, you know. And he said, look, just, just come. And I started looking into it and uh, found that you can get a certificate. So I went and um, in Chicago got a 120-hour what's called TEFL certification. Um, 
and then just got it in my mind that I would, okay, I can go out there, I'll take a one-year contract. Um, you know, at the time I was uh, single, uh, no house, no mortgage, not, I didn't even have a car because I was living in Chicago. So um, I thought, well, if I'm going to do something as crazy as move to China, um, this would be the time to do it. And so uh, I got really lucky, and uh, my very first interview that I had was with a company called Web International English, a uh, large um, English school here in, uh, here in China that teaches mostly uh, young adults and business people, uh, right, down, right in downtown Puxi in Shanghai. So... Um, I got that job. It was a reasonable offer. I got a great schedule, and I just uh, and I moved here. So um, then that position, uh, man, I had to. I learned a lot. What did you learn? I learned first of all uh, about being a teacher, being an instructor, and um, how did you find that transition? I found it that you know it was a learning experience for me to become a teacher. And um, I thought that it was it's so useful. And um, so I would recommend to a lot of people, if they have the chance to do some part-time teaching, um, to, to give it a try. So I, I learned a lot about teaching. And, and then over the course of about two and a half years, though, I started to understand uh, how difficult it is to be a teacher. And... Um, and especially here in uh, Southeast Asia and in China, um, some of the particular difficulties of, of teaching here. And one of those difficulties is uh, students' reluctance to speak up. Students are generally uh, pretty shy. And um, that's not for lack of having an answer in their head. They, they, they would certainly like to express themselves, but it's just the, it's just the fact of the matter that they are, they're shy and they aren't really trained from a young age to be uh, speaking out. Now you've started a business. Do you think that that knowledge has helped you um, with your business dealings with Chinese business people? I started... Because to go to your original question, you know, how connecting my background to what I'm doing now, you know, I, as a communication major and having a background in selling IT, you know, I saw that there was an issue. And the issue was that I couldn't connect with my students. Um, if I had a class of 10 or 15 people in front of me, I would be begging people to raise their hand begging them to express themselves, and they just couldn't do it. Um, not that they didn't want to, but they just, they just couldn't. And so I started looking for some, um, for some technology, educational technology, to assist with this issue. And so first thing I looked at were these uh, electronic whiteboards, smart boards, and uh, they're pretty tempting at first. They're useful tools, but the main issue was that it's still just one person or two people maybe uh, using that whiteboard at a time, leaving the rest of the students 
uh, as passive listeners. And so I decided, well, that's not what I'm looking for. And I kept researching, and then I came across these, uh, these clickers, and I just thought, it was just blew my mind. I just remember, oh, just thinking, God, these would be perfect. And um, so I started doing more and more research into them. And at that time, I was, uh, I was up for a promotion at my company. And so I put together a proposal, and I said, look, we need to start using these tools. We had, they're, they're clearly um, would be beneficial. And um, so I had my promotion interview, and I gave the, the proposal. And um, they said no on both fronts. <laughs> yeah. They said, okay, well, uh, Nick, we're not giving you a promotion, and uh, we're not going to use your proposal, but what we'd like you to do is just go back and just keep doing exactly what you were doing, delivering these classes for me. And so, What was their reason for not taking up the idea? Well, you know, I think that um, in China, one of the um, values that they, they have around here is stability. Right, and so in in my case, I was trying to uh, rock the boat. I was telling them that they had a problem and that there's this new thing that they need to try, and um, uh, perhaps looking back on it, I didn't uh, deliver the message right. You know, there could have been a lot of, uh, I'm sure, uh, in in the way that I put together that messaging of what I was trying to do and the, the benefits of it um, probably left a lot to be desired. But in general, um, you know, I, I, just, I just didn't sell it and uh, didn't sell myself. But I was still so confident that there was a need and that this product um, could fit this need. And so at that time... Um, I just I started getting involved um, in the startup community in, in Shanghai, and it's uh, it's a pretty robust one and growing. And uh, started researching um, startups and how to start your own business. And um, entered uh, before I quit, I entered a uh, a, a startup weekend um, in July of 2014. And um, made a, a version of uh, of using this tool, uh, a business proposal, and and actually I won second place. Were you pleased with that? Oh, I was. Uh, I was so proud that this uh, this idea came in, and um, um, so I knew there was something to what I was doing. And then. Um, after a while, in uh, in October of 2014, I just uh, I just uh, pulled the plug and up and quit and started to uh, go through the process of registering my business as a, as a uh, woofie. Once you've decided to quit, just describe the process you went through of creating what you have now. Sure. So um, part of the startup scene, uh, I'll. I'll 
is, uh, you know, there's all these kind of different events, right? So there's Startup Weekend, there are um, a number of, there's Startup Grinds, um, there's a lot of different kind of events out there. And I was lucky enough to um, take part in a, uh, a meetup put on by a very uh, experienced startup mentor, guy's name is Dean Merritt, and um, he put on this uh, startup uh, event where he was talking about how can I, how can you pitch to investors? Um, and at that time, you know, I really needed that kind of uh, influence. And so after the event, um, I kept in touch with him and I actually um, paid him to become my mentor. Uh, you know, just a small fee, but um, to indicate to him that I'm serious, and then for him as the mentor to take me seriously. And what he did is really steered me in the right direction, said, okay, Nick, if, if you're serious, here are the things that you need to do to do that. You need to start a company in Hong Kong. You need to start a Wolfie. And here's exactly how you do it. And so getting that mentor um, was something that really, really helped me because I you know, had heard about a, uh, a woofie, but I didn't know where to start. Well, this guy knew where to start. And so he um, helped me to coalesce my idea. Helped, uh, I mean, we met probably 50 times. Over what period? Over a period of uh, 18 months. And... Um, from then until now, and during that time, he helped me with that that process. And you know, I had gone into that process thinking that I want to do whatever um, whatever it's going to take to become fully legal in, in China. You know, I've heard I I kept hearing all these people all trying to say, "Oh, well, you know, how can I get around that?" You know how can I how can I start up my 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 company but uh, not pay taxes? And I took the completely opposite approach. I said, "How can I be a hundred percent legitimate, so that when this the government comes and takes a look at what I'm doing, I am so rock solid that." I will be safe because if I want to operate in this country, I want to follow the rules. And if that means paying taxes, well, guess what? I like roads. I like the metro. I like infrastructure. Where do we think taxes go? Taxes go to pay for infrastructure, right? So I enjoy living in this city, so I'm happy to pay taxes. If I, That means that I can operate my business legally here in this country. And then what, what, what that had is way down the line is now I'm in my second year of having a residence permit. And people are, wow, you have a residence permit? How, how did you get that? I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a 60-day visa and I've got to go, I, and, you know, I've got to go and, and leave and, you know, I'm, I'm worried about, um, you know, staying here. And so the reason I have that and that the government has approved me to stay again, even though my, the revenues of my business 
were so low last year in the first year. I'm, I mean, I'm considered a micro business, um, but I'm here legally. And so um, taking the approach of wanting to do it legally, and believe me, it's just as hard <laughs> to do it legally as it is to do it illegally. Yeah, because you do hear those stories of people saying, oh, I need to leave, get back to Hong Kong, um, renew my visa, then come back. And it puts a, a stress on you in that way. But if you've got everything set up so that you're here for the full year, you, you do have to renew your visa once a year. But it takes a lot of that stress away of in and out, in and out, in and out. And you're, like you say, from what I can see of what you're doing, you're there, you can focus on your business and build it on a solid foundation. Yeah, because, because it's so hard to start a startup anyway. It's so hard. You know, there's a great quote um, from a book called uh, The Innovators by Walter Isaacson, same guy who wrote the uh, Steve Jobs book. And he actually started this book before the Steve Jobs book, but Steve Jobs got sick, and so he finished that book. And um, talking about uh, in, the, uh, in the 50s, the book's all about the, the, the thousands of people that actually created the technological and computer revolution. And one of the guys, um, gosh, I can't remember who exactly, but um, one of the guys said, um, don't worry about giving away your idea. If it's truly original, you're going to have to ram it down their throats anyway. Well, that's what you found when you put the idea to your previous employer. They basically said no and said, carry on doing what you're doing. So if you had been, if you wanted to get them to accept the idea, you would have, that's exactly what you would have had to do. You would have had to push and push and push. But you took an alternative view. You, you said, this is a good idea. I will pursue it on my own. And, and so, of course, the, I believe my idea is quite original, the, the stand that I'm taking. You know, in general, uh, the, these audience response systems um, exist already. I didn't invent the core technology, but my uh, take on this is that there is an entire service sector um, to be to be had around this kind of product. So kind of like um, what Zipcar did uh, with automobiles. They went from they took a uh, a product to a service. So um, all of the companies that produce these kind of devices, there's big ones on the market. One's uh, iClicker. Another one's called Turning Technologies. There's my partner is called Sunvote. Uh, and there's four or five companies that are essentially manufacturers. Um, iClicker and and Turning Technologies are, are one step above that. You know, they're more like resellers, but they don't. They're they're not selling a, a turnkey solution where before people are using the clickers, you are helping to train them and, and create content. During the event, you are facilitating the event. And then after, you're doing uh, data collection and reporting. So my take on the business is, um, is basically going from product to service. And um, that doing that and convincing people that 
this is a service that they need is really, really difficult. So that means that if I was worried about getting kicked out of the country by not, because my visa isn't done, there's no way I could have been concentrating and iterating and, and developing how am I going to sell this? How am I going to convince people that this is something that they need because it's such an original idea? What do you think is the biggest challenge you've faced so far? The biggest challenge that I've faced so far is trying to find the correct message, trying to convince people that I have something that they need that they didn't know that they needed before. How do you think you're going to overcome that challenge? And so what I wish that I would have known um, when I got into this was that, and my advice to any entrepreneur out there, is one single word, traction. Traction is the key. So whatever it is you're doing, I don't care if it's an app, I don't care if you're selling bicycles, I don't care if you're selling a service, whatever it is, just get it in somebody's hands. Instead of talking about how good it would be, just, just force them somehow to use your product. In my case, um, the, these little devices that you push, push the button and see instantly the results, it's so difficult to uh, describe that. And so what my challenge is, and I'm getting better and better at it right now, is finding events, finding groups of people, and putting these devices in their hands and letting them experience the product, and then they know. And then they start to think, oh, okay, yeah. So if I'm an event... I would rather, now I've experienced the difference, when I, instead of just sitting here passively listening to this speaker drone on and on and on, I mean, human brains, the research shows, human brains can only concentrate on something for 20 minutes. And that's like if you're really trying. Is that if you're passively listening? Yes. And so if you are actively being prompted, okay, so now what do you think? Click. Done. I've, so I've kind of reset that timer. Uh, and so that's so visceral and it's so visual that I just wish that I would have went out and bought 50 of these things and, and just started giving it away for free just so people could start using it again and again and again and again. You mentioned that you did research to find these devices. Where did you find them? So I found them first through these uh, companies in America um, that uh, have been making their money mostly selling the, the, the devices into universities. Uh, they're, they're also expanding uh, a lot into South America um, doing uh, in, in classrooms for, for K-12. Um, and I, I met with these guys for months, and I begged them to come to China. And um, they had, both American companies have really nice, well, not very nice, but, but relatively sophisticated uh, back-end software uh, that can create the questions and can do some pretty good things to, 
collect the data, um, but they didn't want to localize those platforms. They didn't want to spend the money to um, take that very sophisticated, relatively sophisticated uh, platform and and put it into Chinese, put it into uh, you know simplified Mandarin and traditional uh, Mandarin. Uh, because they, their focus was, and, and presumably still is, on selling the hard clickers. Now, they make money on each one of those units that they sell. So if they come into China, they know that they're going to always lose on price. Because there are five or six or seven factories, and if I'm a school, and I've just been convinced that these tools are useful, then I'm just going to go to the, the factory, especially in China, I can literally call the factory direct and say, beat this price, and that factory will do it, right? So from their perspective, from, from the Americans' perspective, um, they can't win on price. And if you're only selling the units, then... That's understandable. And then, of course, this is all knowledge that I've only understood after the fact. I couldn't understand at the time. They didn't see the potential. They didn't see that there's 192 million kids in K-12 through that need this device. And so my take on it, you know, is, is just that, well, sure, um, I can't make that much money sending units, but what... I know is that using the units is difficult. Nobody's using it right now, so they don't have no idea what it is. Uh, so that means that they can't utilize it properly. Writing the actual questions, where you sit down and you want to actually author the question that you're going to present, is is a laborious process, and it could be 15 steps to write one single good question. And so all that work on the pre, uh, before you ask the question, is the service that I'm looking to provide. Oh, so your, your business isn't necessarily the clickers, it's the service. Right. So the, the clickers are a means to an end. The clickers are a, a tool by which we create an active learning environment. And so this tool is a tool that we need but that but but the voting itself the pushing the button is not where it begins and ends it, it, it's 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 right in the middle before we click there's a whole lot of work and setup that needs to be done we need to think about what are our objectives for this hour so first we need to think about our learning objectives and then we write questions around those two or three maximum in one hour. We write clicker questions around those two or three learning objectives. Then we deliver the class. And then afterwards, we analyze all that data. So um, that's the vision of, my, uh, of the company is that we're, we've got a lot of work to do. And, and the clicker is just the thing that enables all of that other work. Do you have any partners, or are you working with partners here? Yeah, so 
after some time, I mentioned my uh, uh, my mentor Dean Merritt. He's a uh, he's a partner of mine, and um, so he's got uh, a stake in the company. And then uh, outside partners, though, I had gone to. I, I described to you um, working, trying to work with these American companies, but that failed. And so then I started work looking for to some of these factories. And I started with one factory, um, and then found uh, a second one called uh, Sunvote. And Sunvote is a manufacturer out of Changsha. And they're one of the largest in Asia, and they do OEM work too. So some companies, if they have their own little use for voting machines, they can make their own voting machines. And they've got their um, their own customer base, and, and they do really well. They provide uh, clickers to a lot of TV shows. So they've worked with CCTV. They work with uh, even um, uh, all, all sorts of media companies. So I engaged with them and started talking to them, saying, "You know, are you guys looking for a partner? Do you guys have somebody directly in Shanghai?" And you know, they said, "Yeah, you know, I, I, I got one or two, you know, um, resellers who kind of uh, who." can resell my products, but not really, we definitely don't have any foreign companies trying to sell our product in Shanghai. And so I said, okay, let's talk. So I went out there, I took the fast train, the high-speed train, I love that in China, I took the high-speed train out there, and we had a meeting, and I, and I proposed some things to them. I said, look, I have, um, I have a theory about your customers. And my theory, tell me if you're wrong, is that you You guys have been in business since 1998. I bet that you guys have 80% of your customers bought a set of these clickers, like 200 of these clickers from you, and have never bought a single more, another clicker from you ever again. And I said, is that true? And they said, well, you know what, Nick? Actually, yes. And I said, I bet that's because they don't understand all of the different things that can be done with them. And that they there is a market there for these professional services, first of all, in training. So I said to them, look, I want to figure out over time how I can become a professional services provider. You guys are the factory. You can make the things. Uh, but... I have become a specialist in utilizing this technology. So I think that I could sell professional services to your customer base and that once they realize how great these things are and that they can use them in so many different ways for internal uh, communication, for uh, customer uh, focus groups, for uh, large events, for their... um, company dinners, that these tools are are a communication tool that should be part of their usual operations, that they bought 200 from you, and if they're a sizable organization, they're going to buy 2,000. And they said, you know what, Nick, that's pretty good. Let's think about that. Let's develop this. And um, the deal that I've made with them is I, and then, uh, so, so that was in March of last year, right as I was finishing up, um, 
the long and hard process of, uh, of truly setting up the woofy. And so, on, by the way, the top of the mountain of that process is being able to issue fapiaus, yeah. which is another huge advantage to uh, doing it right. And that's a whole subject on its own. Yeah, so I can issue my own fapiaus, and so I, at that time I was finishing up that, and so between then and now is, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time developing my message and, and trying to do a lot of things, but we made this deal where they're going to give me a number of, uh, of of these clickers, supply me with uh, my own set of these clickers, and in, in return for me creating these five how-to videos that are going to go onto their website. And so um, I've just uh, completed the first one, which is about uh, a, a teaching methodology that goes hand-in-hand hand with these clickers, which is called Peer Instruction, invented by a Harvard physics professor. And that guy utilizes the clickers and this particular teaching methodology. Um, so I made a video about that, and then we're going to make some other videos like Top Fives, Do or Don'ts. Are they paying you for these videos, or are you financing those videos yourself? Uh, well, the, the deal that we made was, kind of, was an in-kind barter deal. So they're going to supply me with a number of these clickers for me to have and rent, essentially rent out on my own and use, and then I will provide these videos to them. And so that was a really good way, a non-cash way, for us to make uh, a deal and become partners. And so I would recommend that to a lot of people too. I was really, you know, because I can make, you know, you can make a video with your iPhone. And the videos are basically just me sitting at a desk and I, then I put together some PowerPoints and, you know, you don't have to... Uh, the, the videographers are <laughs> listening are going to hate me for this, but you can make a very... Uh, a, a very okay video um, using Microsoft Movie Maker. And um, the, the tools there are adequate for a how-to video if you have good enough uh, video quality, which you can get on an iPhone. And then what I learned about how-to videos is that you got to have good sound. So you have good sound, you have good audio quality, and you know, so, so you can make a, a very decent how-to video with these tools um, that you already have. And so um, it takes a long time, believe me, to put that video together and those five videos. And so that's why they value it. And um, so I made that deal with them. And uh, over the next two months here, you're going to see these five videos go on this website. And that's going to be so good for me because I can point all of to, to, to my customers and their customers, look, I am the expert. My company does this. Look at look at this. Are you currently making those videos, or have they been made? I finalized the first one about peer instruction, and then here during Chinese New Year, um, things are going to uh, slow down, and I'm going to be here in Shanghai. I'm going to uh, shoot those other four um, during this time. I'll be looking out for those videos, so make sure you send me the link so I can put it on the website. Okay, will do. What do you look for in your strategic partners? Um, well, with when it came to Sunvote, you know, I knew that they had uh, a lot of market penetration already, and I, I looked for 
when I discussed with them, I, I, I look for somebody who wants to develop their business. You know, I look for somebody who, say, who I come in there and I say, look, I like what you do. I understand what you do and I want to make it better. And I know how to make it better. This is how I'm going to make it better. And are you open for that? You know, a lot of companies will, like these American companies, say, you know what? I know we should put it into Chinese, but we're not going to do that. To me, it sounded like you weren't saying what they can do for you. It sounded like what you could do for them in, in order to improve their business. I think that's, that seems to be the key point. Yeah, do they want, are they interested in having another way to make money? I have another way for you guys to make money. Are you interested in a, a new revenue stream? And that might mean that you guys have to uh, invest a little bit of money or time or effort, but the result of what I'm telling you when I'm approaching you is that you're going to make more money if you partner with me. Was this a Chinese company that spoke only Chinese, or did they have any English speaking? Their, their English was about as good as my Mandarin. <laughs> but they are an international company, and they, had, um, they have English speakers. And um, you know, when it comes down to making deals, they, they can speak English. So communication wasn't a problem? Well, I mean, it's uh, communication is a big word. Finding uh, culturally, uh, communication is always uh, odd, and but making the the details of the of, you know what do they value. In this case, when I say communication, you had an idea, you could see an opportunity for them, and you were able to communicate that to them, and they then were able to communicate back their acceptance of that idea, rather than the the big idea of so we understand each other completely yeah sure and as and as a matter of fact um going back to my years of being a english teacher in china one of the skills that you learn from that is being concise and simplifying your words uh to the point that it can be easily understood. You know, there's a funny, there's a, a funny th a thing that uh, I just read that says um, the bigger words that you use, the stupider you sound. So be concise. You know, there's a there's also a funny um, in the movie Lincoln. He tells about this uh, a joke about uh, this. Uh, priest who went on and on and gave a, gave this long sermon, on and on and on sermon and going on for hours and finally the the sermon ends and one of the parishioners comes up and says, "Wow, Father, uh, you know that was uh, that was quite a sermon." He says, "Yeah, you know, um, I was too lazy to make it any shorter." Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I've, heard so, I've heard that. Yeah, so it's harder. To be concise, mm. but once you are able to do that and f laser focus your words onto the core idea, which is how do I make them and myself more money, that's a skill that I took from, from being an English teacher, especially a business English teacher, 
And uh, that's how I was able to communicate what I wanted to do with them. How would you describe yourself? Well, uh, abrasive. Uh, a uh, Definitely, I would say that I'm an acquired taste. But uh, I am very humorous and uh, very uh, open and to the point. However, I, I, well, not really however, I'm also highly informed. I read the news every day. I pay attention to um, world news and world issues. Do you read local news? Uh, both. Both. China, China Daily and BBC News and the AP, as well as, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't do as much as they should is read books, and specifically nonfiction books. So uh, I read, well, more listen to a lot of audiobooks. So Zero to One, books. Um, uh, like, like I mentioned, The Innovators. Um, I read uh, Hank Paulson's um, Dealing with China. And um, there's a great book right now that's, that's very popular called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And these books are so full of crucial insights that these authors spent years and years and years putting together and so you can benefit your world view in a relatively short amount of time by reading the, these books. You don't have to always read nonfiction. Um, fiction is great and informative in its own way but for me right now in my stage in life is, is that I want to know what are the facts. And I want to be informed so when I have a discussion with somebody, I have knowledge with which to uh, um, take so that I can contribute to the conversation. And you, know, you never know what is going to apply to you. So in this book, Sapiens, for example, he gives a description about what is it that makes humans the dominant species of the entire world. You know, we had been for a long time, we were just another ape, another, you know, uh, another animal. And we were competing with a lot of other human type uh, creatures as well. There were, there were Neanderthals, there were other forms of uh, humans and Homo sapiens, us, what made the difference? And the difference was that about 70,000 years ago, we started to be able to flexibly communicate with a very large amount of strangers. We didn't have to be best friends in order to collaborate. And that insight applies to me and my business because I'm trying to get hundreds and thousands of people who 
we can be strangers in this room, in this conference, in this event, um, in this classroom, and we can easily communicate, and I can make it easier if we use this tool. And so that's an example of, of reading these, these books and finding something in those books that apply to you. And so uh, if I say, describe myself, I would say a uh, uh, bit abrasive, definitely, um, but fun, humorous, and uh, dare I say informed. I would agree with that. So just to wrap up now, um, what advice would you give somebody that wanted to follow along similar lines, just in a one brief sentence? Sure. If you're operating in China, do it legally uh, because the benefits are so much more than the whatever money or time you think you can save and so secondly just as an entrepreneur I'll repeat what I said before is that the number one thing that you need to be concerned with is getting traction traction above all else because if you get one big customer Coca-Cola uh, uh, GE, Johnson & Johnson, Palma, some Fortune, one single Fortune 500 company or Fortune 1000 company is, is night and day when it comes to uh, a, uh, a startup. So focus on, if you're operating in China, do it legally and focus on traction. Okay, thank you very much, Nick. And we'll keep in touch. All right, thanks, sir. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.